0: Uncharted Journeys. I'm your host, Kathy McKnight. If you're like me and you've ever sat back and wondered, how did I get here, whether literally or figuratively, in terms of your career or life in general, then you're in good company and have come to the right place. On Uncharted Journeys, you'll hear from amazing women about their straight and narrow, zigzaggy, or somewhere in between paths to success. With today's guest, we are welcoming, welcoming content and marketing industry royalty. She is a writer, a digital marketing pioneer, and both her books have topped the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. A sought-after speaker, she's as memorable as she is inspiring, empowering audiences around the world to create marketing that customers will love and ignites real results for their businesses. And she is a super snappy dresser. Just Google some of the images for her, for her and you will see what I mean. To add to that list of accomplishments, she's a successful entrepreneur and company leader uh, of two startups, uh, ClickZ Click for non-Canadians, and Marketing Profs. And for the last 15 years at Marketing Profs, uh, the B2B Marketing Forum, she and her team have hosted marketers from around the world at what has become the premier global marketing event for business-to-business marketers, which I have already put on my calendar for next year. Consistently named one of the most influential marketers in social media and a thought leader, her home base is Boston, where she is a mom to two and four legger creatures. She is an E. B. White super fan, a Cavalier King Spaniel enthusiast. You don't find many of those, and news to me, a novice tap dancer. Although I have seen her share her dancing prowess at at least one conference main stage. Busy doesn't begin to describe her days, but she finds respite in retreating to her tiny house office, which happens to house her vintage typewriter collection. Welcome Anne Handley. Oh my goodness.
1: That was so nice and so
0: generous. Thank you.
1: I'm so happy to be here with you, Kathy. I'm so
0: excited to have you. So, I mean, that is honestly like such the tip of the iceberg. Can you tell, Can you tell <laughs> our audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do?
1: oh my goodness um yeah i mean i think you kind of covered the high spots but yeah i am a former journalist turned marketer like so many marketers i didn't start out in marketing um but i made the shift when i founded ClickZ. i love that by the way or click <laughs> um in 1997 holy wow 26 years ago um and uh and yeah i mean zero regrets it's been just um such a fun ride and and such a pleasure to talk to you and and some of the other marketers worldwide
0: yeah it honestly there is not anyone in our industry who doesn't know your name and probably who hasn't read at least one of your books it's um it's amazing how the deeper we get into this industry uh, how how small Um, it is as far as really those who who float to the top as far as, you know, cream of the crop kind of thing. And your name is consistently one of the ones that I hear people excited about when we go to things like the different conferences that our our paths cross at. So thank you again for making time and uh, being here today.
1: First of all, thank you. But, you know, secondly, I think one of the things that I've learned throughout my career which comes at a little bit of a surprise to me. Like if I were to go back 20 or 30 years and share this insight with uh, of me of 20 or 30 years ago, I don't know that I would actually believe me, but it's it's 100% true, which is that your career is, yes, it's about expertise in your talents or your gifts or your how hard you work and all of that stuff. Um, but a big part of that is the relationships that you form. And it's a surprise to me thinking about me from 20 or 30 years ago again, because I don't know that I prioritize that, but you know, being nice, showing up in an authentic way, treating everyone with respect, finding those points of connection with the people around you in your industry. I mean, it sounds like a small thing, but honestly, Kathy, that's a big reason why I think people know me and why I am just like so heartened when when I hear you say that, because it's been um it's probably been like the the sleeper skill that i've tried to I, I can't even say i tried to i think it just came to me but it's only in retrospect that i realized just how important that skill is so if anyone is listening to this and they're early in their career i would just impart that bit of wisdom to you and please just work on your relationships you know just be kind to people just be interested in them and and find those points of connection because to me it's really made all the difference
0: that is such insightful and such solid baseline advice for anybody. And the great thing about that and and one of the things that I'm finding, it's kind of a thread that I'm seeing throughout these conversations that I'm having on the show is, you know, whether that started off early and it was something that just because like you, it's just your nature, that's who you are, or others who have come to learn either through, you know, watching by example or by having something bite them in the butt and realize like, oh crap, you know what? That's all on me. And sometimes it takes time mm-hmm. and maturity to recognize that after the fact. But honestly, being and being authentic and true to who you are takes so much less energy. <laughs> that is yes, yes. Yeah. And who needs to expend more energy than necessary to get things done? No, that is that is actually absolutely
1: true. But you know, it took me a very long time to learn that. Or very early in my career, and I know we're like I'm completely hijacking this conversation. I'm sorry about that. Totally cool. Um, but like very early in my conver- in my conversation in my career. I thought that I had to show up in a certain way, you know, I should really wear my glasses instead of my contacts because it makes me look smarter and it makes me look older and I should appear to be very professional and I should try to use buzzwords as often as possible and I should be very serious so that I'm respected. You know, I thought I had to be a certain way and I tried to mold myself into what that looked like. Now I'm talking again, you know, 25 years ago. Um, And it's been over time that I realized that the more me that I let people see, the more me that I embody, and that I just show up as me, and to use your words, like I don't, I don't try to be anybody else, because it's easier this way. But it did take me a while to figure out that that's actually your superpower, that's actually what makes you unique and special, and what makes you memorable and authentic, to use that word to so many other people. And it just took me a very long time to sort of shed that skin of inauthenticity, of feeling like I had to be a certain way instead of just showing up as me and just embracing that 100%. Now, what does that mean? That means that people are not gonna like you always because the challenge in being yourself is that some people are going to bristle at that. They're just not gonna relate to that. They're not gonna like you and, That was a little bit of a difficult thing for me to understand and to not internalize, you know, not let it change the way that I am. Um, But ultimately, I, I think it's just it's the only way to be to be successful. And it's the only way to really be happy and fulfilled in your career is not to be somebody else, which sounds so elemental and sounds so basic in a lot of ways. But that took me a very long time to learn.
0: Well, and, and I, I think probably we come from the same era as women, particularly coming up through the ranks of whether it's corporate business. And as my listeners know, I've, I've done what I call my time at, you know, the big orgs. I was part of IBM. I was part of PwC. And there is an expectation. And you are back then, you would not succeed if you were not fitting the mold. Which is why I was not successful there because I just, can you not just take me for my skills and what I'm capable of rather than having to fit into what you think that should look like. And I think the generations that have come up since, it's not totally gone away, but I think there is more leeway and I think there is more acceptance on the work side, but also there's less tolerance for it on the person side um i know i'm a, my my kids are 19 and 22 and my daughter's not going to be anything but her like full stop which for her is it's a good thing in terms of what she does she's she's uh, in sciences and you know as long as you're churning out the reports and and getting the results from a lab perspective it's all good mm-hmm. you know it, it, but you know from a business side you know she, she may have to melt herself a different way. I, I don't think that's fully gone, but I think your advice is is spot on. And um, we could end this call right now and people will have plenty to take away, but we're not going to. <laughs> we're going to get into the four questions. So what was the first career you remember wanting to do when you grew up? Oh my goodness. I, ever since I could hold a
1: crayon, I wouldn't even say a pencil. I mean, hold a crayon. I always wanted to be a writer. Before I really understood anything about writing or story or journalism or marketing. (laughs) Way before that, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to uh, share who I was, and I wanted to record what was going on in the world around me from a very, very early age. When I was eight years old, I started a neighborhood newsletter in my neighborhood. It's my first foray into publishing. I would write it out longhand. I would give it to my dad. He would take it to his office, and he would probably have his secretary now that I think about it now, um, probably yep. have his secretary photocopy it or Xerox it and then collate it and bring it home to me. And I would roll it up and deliver it to all of my neighbors in my, in my, um, in my neighborhood on my, on my bike. I would just put it in their mailbox, which I have now learned, at least in the U S is a felony. You shouldn't put anything in anybody's mailbox. So really? Uh, yeah. I'm just putting that out there. Just law enforcement. I deeply apologize for that transgression <laughs> decades ago. Um, oh my goodness. But I would talk about what was going on in our little neighborhood. So I'd talk about, um, I don't know, my neighbors across the street got a new mailbox, for example, that was big news. Or how somebody was putting up their Christmas decorations already. Or I was a little bit of a narc too. Like I would, I would, I would, um, Talk about what was going on in the neighborhood, like somebody was flouting the leash laws down the street. They should absolutely keep their dog inside their yard, but they didn't. They just let this dog roam freely around the neighborhood. so it was a little bit of a of a snitch yeah. yeah I'm not proud of that part of it but um but yeah, that was me, and I used to deliver it around the neighborhood. It lasted a couple of weeks until I lost interest, like so many marketers do with their successful marketing programs, when they should just keep going, but they don't. Um, But anyway, that was me. So I always wanted to be a writer. I found various ways to kind of scratch that itch over the years. You know, when I was eight with the newsletter, I, uh, and then eventually that led to uh, having a series of pen pals all around the world. Eventually that led to me working on my high school paper and then my college paper and, and on and on and on. Um, but the, the through line there was, yes, I wanted to be a writer, but the other piece of that is that I always needed an audience. I was never interested in diaries or journaling or anything like that, just for myself. I was never writing stories just for me. It was always about connecting with other people, having an audience. And that was the through line through all of my writing, which, the writing literally should have been on the wall that i would eventually go into journalism or marketing or a way to connect with audiences through your words because it was that's been the the bottom line throughout everything i've done
0: well you have definitely landed in your sweet spot cuz that's exactly obviously this was just meant to be where you are now cuz you know, starting at eight with a, with, (laughs) I could just imagine people's reaction when you, they drop, me they get this newsletter like, who is this precocious (laughs) eight-year-old? I know. The funny thing is, it never
1: occurred to me, I guess this is the one difference between, say, you know, Anne in 2023, heading into 2024, and Anne back then, is that it never occurred to me what they might think about it. Like, I thought I was doing a great service to my neighborhood, but I imagine that they probably got this and were thinking, what the heck? You know, I had poems in there about trees and, you know, things like that. It's kind of crazy when I think about it now. It never occurred to me that what the reaction might be, but I'm pretty sure it was 100% open rate. So, I mean, I've 100%. got that, got that At least. going. And Funny. then they
0: shared it. So it was maybe, maybe, might, might have even been higher than that. <laughs> yeah. Please I'm, tell me. Yeah. Please tell me you've kept copies. I was
1: just going to say, it's so funny you said that. I literally don't have any. But what I do have is a notebook that I kept when I had all those pen pals. Um, Because part of the pen pal program that I had going when I was probably grade school, middle school time frame, um, I had pen pals all around the world, but I wasn't writing as me. I was always writing as a persona, like something I wanted to be. So for example, I am not a twin, but... In one of those for, with a few of those pen pals actually i was a twin i said that i had a twin i lived in a big family i was the oldest of six real real truth i was the youngest of four by far i was not a twin i did not live on a farm which i i i perpetuated that idea i won't say it's a lie. it was an idea in, in some of my dream Yeah. It was a dream. So anything I wanted to be, I would just kind of make up and I had to keep a notebook to keep it all straight because that's a lot of facts that I was putting out there. And I didn't have any record of it because again, I was writing letters. I was writing it down and sending it off to Malaysia or to Australia or to London to name a few places where I had pen pals at the time. So I do have the notebook where I, oh, I had fake names too. That was the other thing. So
0: I, uh, that is I, amazing. I, I had, had to keep it all that. straight.
1: Yeah. It was a little bit wacky, but there you go.
0: Well, and, and to have the presence of mind to keep track of it. I mean, you are absolutely a writer. <laughs> you should write a novel. You should absolutely, that could be like the whole under, under threat, the, the, the line through a novel where you write to all these people and in today's age and all of a sudden they start wanting to come visit you yeah. and yeah get, oh my god it would be great that's it. well it's
1: a little bit of a catfishy situation though right because a little bit it, it, it was <laughs> i think it 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 hits different in 2023 when i think about that now but back then you know it was harmless it was just me trying to entertain myself living in you know basically being kind of a lonely child living in the suburbs trying to figure out how do i actually you know write to audiences and that was my solution And how do I be something other than who I was? So that's what I did. But the thing that scared me straight that completely made me abandon all of those personas that I had made up and all of those fake names and the fake families and the fake locations and all of it was one time I got a phone call really late at night. My mom answered the phone and she calls me like, Annie, Annie, it's for you. And she looked at me like kind of puzzling. And I go to the phone and it's this boy with an Australian accent. He says, hello, Anne. It's, it's David. I don't even know if that's an Australian accent, but I'm really trying my best. Hello, Anne. it's David. I'm going to be in the US and uh, was wondering if we could meet up, yeah? And I think that's actually British. But I was like, uh, oh, no, I don't think we can. And I hung up on him <laughs> <laughs> because I was terrified that... I was going to be found out, and I thought, of course I think I've taken this a little bit too far because David and his family were going to come to the U.S. They were going to come to Boston, and they wanted to meet up with me and maybe visit my farm. And I just had to shut that down. So <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so, David. But thank you. Hung up. Never heard from him again. Abandoned all the relationships that I had so carefully curated around the world. That's the end of the story. And told your mom you had
0: to change your phone number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then we had to move. And we now live in Poland. <laughs> to a farm. Yeah. <laughs> so who was the first big influencer in your life?
1: Well, certainly there was a lot of authors who I read as a child who really influenced me to be a storyteller and to be a writer. The primary among those would be E.B. White. When I read Charlotte's Web in, uh, again, in middle school, or no, sorry, in elementary school, I was maybe, I don't know, seven or eight years old. When I read that book, I loved the way that it felt so spare, but also so powerful. And I recognize that even as a child, like I loved that book. And to this day, it's still my favorite book for many, many reasons. Um, In part, because I think it's a perfect analogy for modern marketing. But secondly, because I love the way that he that E.B. White writes. So, you know, E.B. White wrote Charlotte's Web, he wrote Stuart Little, he wrote Trumpet of the Swan. He also was the co-author of The Elements of Style, which is one of the great writing guides for marketers. So he has long been a literate hero of mine. And so I think from a storytelling perspective, E.B. White has definitely been an influence. Um, Laura Ingalls Wilder, Little House in the Prairie. She's been a controversial figure in recent years because some of her ideas and opinions of her age were uh, have become a little bit unpopular. Um, so I can't say that she remains a a literary hero, but when I was a kid, I definitely loved the Lauren Ingalls Wilder stories. I loved the way that I felt so immersed in her world. And that's something that I thought, wow, I would love to be able to create that kind of immersion for the audience that I'm writing for, cue up those Uh, pen pals that I had, right? So that's kind of what I was doing there. Um, And I think my third one would be when I was much, much older, I worked for the Boston Globe, I became a ultimately became a reporter for the Boston Globe. And I had an editor there, a guy by the name of Dick Powers, who became such a oh man, I don't even know how to describe him. He was just such a special guy. He had been in newspapers for decades at that point, like decades and decades. I think when I knew him, he was probably in his late 60s working as an editor at The Globe. He was my editor there. And he was the one who gently and, and firmly said to me, you are not a journalist. You are a storyteller. He switched me to features within weeks of me working at The Globe because he said, you really know how to talk to people, get their story, and then convey who they are to the reader. He said, that's what a, a, that's what a storyteller does. That's what a features writer does in the world of journalism. When he sent me to cover a fire, I didn't talk about basically what happened and how quickly they got the fire out and a little bit of like, get a quote from the the firefighter on the scene and maybe just a quote from the homeowner. Instead, I ended up telling the whole story about this antique house and what had actually burned inside with this antique collection of books, including some that had been smuggled out of Nazi Germany. And that to me was the story. And when he got that, he said, like, that was the final straw. He said, you are I'm, you are not a journalist. You don't know how to you don't know how to do the who, what, when, where, why without also talking about the, you know, going deep into the who, and then also talking about, and then what happened, and then what happened, and then what happened, because that to me is where the story is.
0: right? Um, And so he
1: was probably the third major influence in my life.
0: It's so great to have someone recognize something in you that you haven't quite seen yet, or Mm -hmm. don't even know the difference. You know, I'm not sure I would have known the difference between a journalist and a storyteller or a features writer, right? I would consider them both journalists, but that's such a distinction. And I guess that many years in the the industry, he had a pretty good eye, especially if he's been working for the Boston Globe for that long.
1: Yeah. And the thing that I really, really have grown to appreciate, and I don't even think I really recognized it at the time, was the way that he conveyed that message to me, even now when I think about it, I feel very warm inside. Like I I feel like I almost want to well up because he passed away a few years ago and I, I never got a chance to tell him this directly. And I think about it all the time. And I think about it as a leader in an organization too, and as a leader in an industry. But what he said to me and the way he said it didn't make me feel like a failure. He didn't say to me, you're a terrible journalist. You should go find a job someplace else. What he said to me was, You are not a journalist. You are a storyteller. And that is a gift. So the way that he conveyed that to me made me feel empowered instead of crushed. I think about that a lot. The way that he delivered the message made all the difference to me. So it felt motivating and not demotivating.
0: That's fantastic to have that example. Not everybody gets that even throughout their career. So to have that so early on, what a what a gift. Is there a song that epitomizes your
1: career path? So I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. I don't know if you knew that, Kathy. But... Did not. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I am a um yeah, I'm a major Swiftie. I've gone to see her in concert several times. Uh, I went to see the Eras Tour this past summer with my daughter and my bestie um, in Gillette Stadium outside of Boston. We are going to the London show that she's um She's going to be playing Wembley Stadium next next uh, August in London. So we're going to that. So I'm a major Swifty. I have been for years for so many reasons. So I have to share the Taylor Swift song here. It's not my favorite Taylor Swift song, but I think it's very powerful for anybody thinking about a career. The song that I think really epitomizes my my perspective is Shake It Off by, by Taylor. Do you know the song at all? Yep. Shake It Off. Shake it off and shake it off. The the reason why I love that song as a kind of mantra is that, you know, the thing about being a writer or being a, or publishing anything online or showing up on social media, we talked about this a little bit, where you're going to get people who hate you, you're going to get haters no matter what. You may be thinking that you're the most mild mannered, like how could anyone take issue with my opinion or with me or whatever, but you're going to get haters. Because showing up authentically means that you are vulnerable. And instead of hiding that vulnerability or instead of protecting that vulnerability, I think it just is, it's part of the package. And so when you get that bit of...
0: Oh, man, I've lost your audio. Oh, I lost your audio there for a second. Oh, no. Yeah. So if you can just go back, I'll put a marker Um, uh, after you said being out there, regardless of, um, you know, if you show up authentically, Mm. so if you can pick that from there. So
1: showing up authentically means you're gonna get haters. It also means that you're making yourself vulnerable. And I think vulnerability is just part of being a creative. It's part of being a person who shows up on social media, who publishes, who writes, who sends a newsletter, all of it. Um, And so just the ability to rise above that, not let it get to you, don't read the comments, all of that kind of stuff, I think is just so key in what we do.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. So, I mean, I can think of a few words uh, that to describe you um, tenacious and energetic, etc. I won't put them in your mouth. But what are three words you'd use to describe you and or your career?
1: Oh boy, Um, I think the first one would be accessible. I try to show up with my whole self, with my whole heart. I try to be just accessible to people around me. It also means that my work, I tried to not be too complicated in how I explain things. I wanted to feel accessible to the marketers, the creators, the writers around me who I feel like I have a voice with. Um, so I think accessible would be one of them. The second I think would be artful. I don't think that anything we do as marketers, as business people, as creatives, whatever the case may be, um, should not have a little element of art in it or big element of of art to it. So I don't think that marketing writing has to be boring, for example. I think that we should bring a little bit of our art to it, a little bit of our point of view, perspective, and and really be proud of what we do. And the third thing, the third word that I think encapsulates just sort of who I am and how I show up is joyful you know, you mentioned my suits at the very beginning of this conversation and the way that I dress and the way that I try to, you know, dance across the stage. And the reason I do that isn't because I am a just total hog for attention. In fact, it's actually the opposite. But the reason I do that is because I want to set the expectation that this is going to be a joyous experience for everyone in the audience. And I try to show up that very same way through my writing. So I think joy is a big piece of what I offer. And the reason why is that I want people in the audience to love what they do too. I want them to bring a little bit of joy to their own work.
0: Couldn't agree with you more as far as setting the expectation for a joyous experience. I've had the pleasure of hearing you uh, speak multiple times I have to say one of my favorite stories is the brown couch story uh, for our audience <laughs> for those of you who have not seen and speak when she when you explain and talk about concepts and how to do things like you said you you're not complicated about it you give concrete engaging sometimes freaking hilarious examples <laughs> of what that looks like and um yeah, the brown couch story. I share, I have shared that so many times as an example because it was so succinct and so clear how you tried to give a couch away, couldn't, and ended up selling it more easily when somebody <laughs> had to pay for it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe we <laughs> can link to that. We can link to the blog post when I talk about that in my um.
0: Other, oh, for yeah, sure. I absolutely session. I will. Yeah, I will absolutely do that. So I'm curious, you know you've you've had such a varied career and you've talked a lot about, you know, how you've gotten to where you are. Has there been something that you've done? Has there been, um, you know, whether it's a creative process that you've followed or a planning forward, some people are very specific. They set out goals for the year and whatnot. How have you shaped your career to be the way it is and so successful and fulfilling?
1: Huh. That's an interesting question, Kathy. Um, I don't know. I honestly, I don't know. I don't know that I have shaped it as much as just maintained a certain curiosity about what's next. I'm always really interested in what's going to come next. Like right now, for example, in our industry, artificial intelligence, AI is like such a hot topic, right? Everybody is talking about it. And I'm interested in that because I want to see how this plays out. And because of my voice in the industry, because of my role, I maybe want to try to help shape that a little bit. I want to try to help uh educate people around me and how we might be thinking about this. So I think it's just a, a curio maintaining a curiosity about what's next in my industry and also a curiosity about about my own, you know, skills and expertise. You know, can I challenge myself to step onto a stage and tell a story that will make an audience laugh. That was not always an obvious fit for me. And so I think Mm -hmm. maintaining a curiosity about how I move through my career externally, but also challenging myself internally to get to that next level, to really chase that next thing, that's the thing that has has driven me forward. I mean, I kind of want to say, oh, I mapped it out. Back when I did that newsletter at age eight, eight, riding my bike around the neighborhood, I'm whistling to myself thinking, ah, I know what I will do. The mastermind that I was, I will form an email newsletter and I will start a company that's going to be publishing on this thing called the Internet that won't be invented for decades. But that's not who I am. I'm just not that kind of person. I do sit down every morning and with a journal, I have now come full circle with the, the idea of of how valuable a journal can be to a writer. I no longer feel like I need an audience for everything that I do. Um, but I do sit down every morning with a journal and I think about, not my day's intentions per se, or my goals, but I capture stories that happened the day before and I capture what I'm thinking about these days. And that's the thing that ultimately, when I go back and and you know read it over the course of my week, it gives my my days, in my weeks, in my years, in my career, a certain momentum.
0: That is one thing uh, journaling. I have ne- I've tried, and uh, so many people. Oh, you have to do this. You have to do that. But anybody mm-hmm. I know who does it, whether it's every day, whether it's once a week, whether it's just when it strikes them, finds so much value in it. And it seems to be one of those things. Like they say, you know, one of the key uh, markers of success are people who uh, make their bed every day. Because it sets a routine kind of thing. I think journaling is is one of those things for a lot of people. So it's great that you've you've grown into that and and seen, you know mm-hmm. that there is the other side to um, to the writing and not like, and doing it for yourself, which is amazing. And a lot of people never quite get there.
1: Yeah, here was a shift that, that I that, that I needed to make. I always thought that writing in diaries, writing in journals, was so boring, because I know what I think, why do I need to write it down? I know what I feel. And even when I was a kid, you know, when you're a bookish child, who wants to be a writer, every adult in your life is going to give you a diary for any birthday or holiday or anything like that. And I was like, Oh, gosh, I would unwrap it and be like, ugh, not another one to stick on a pile (laughs) on the shelf. But the thing that flipped for me was that it's not about recording what happened. Instead, it's about telling stories or thinking about things that happened the day before that delighted me. And when I shifted my mindset to just writing down my feelings or working through my feelings, which no shade, like there's a lot of people who do that. And I think that's fantastic. That's just not me. And that's just not how I really find value in journaling. But what I do write down is things that delighted me. So maybe an interaction at the post office or this morning, for example, there's something weird that happened at the grocery store yesterday that I just observed while I was standing there in line. And I wrote it down this morning. I don't know if it's ever going to show the, be, you know, be, uh, see the light of day, but maybe it will, maybe it won't. I don't know, like maybe there's, I'll use it as a story and something because it'll connect to something else and it'll trigger another idea. And so that's why I write down things. It make it tunes me into my daily life in a way that helps me ultimately in my creativity. The brown couch story that you talked about a second ago, which you know we will we will link to for anyone listening to this, was a story that I wrote down in my journal a few years ago when that happened, because my son was like, let's just put these couches on the curb. And I literally wrote that down in my journal. I thought, this is a funny story that I wonder, like maybe someday I'll use this. Well, fast forward six or eight months, and I realized what a smart way to think about copywriting that story could be an example for. So that's the kind of thing that um well that's why i write down what i write down and why i journal every day and and just that practice has helped me tune into my life differently and more uh what's the word just with just with more intention and and attention
0: which we can all use and it sounds like throughout your career you've had different triggers things that have made you see things in a different light or moved in a different direction has there been can you think of a defining moment a decision or action something that really significantly impacted the trajectory of your career and really anchored you into the direction that you've taken
1: so this goes back to 1997 when i founded ClickZ. i love that so much i'm gonna i'm gonna just gonna adopt it i had been working in newspapers for a very long time well, not a very long time. I actually wasn't that old, but <laughs> I had been working in newspapers since I graduated from college. And I thought I liked it, but it just felt, even then, it felt a little limiting and I couldn't quite figure out why. And maybe it's because of the storytelling thing. Maybe it was because newspapers even then felt a little bit of like an old boys kind of network. Yeah. yeah. Um, and. I just thought, I don't know if I really wanna do this for the rest of my life. And then the internet happened. That was the moment where I thought, "Oh, oh my gosh, I totally see that this is going to upend everything. And I quickly realized that newspapers landing in people's driveways with a massive thump on a Sunday morning or every weekday, you know, newspapers in my neighborhood when I was a kid came twice a day, once in the morning and once in the afternoon. I mean, that's so crazy now to think about that that actually was a practice. That's how people got their news a day late. And I thought that's not gonna happen anymore. I, I recognized that the internet was gonna upend everything. It was gonna make information much more immediate. And it was going to change the way that not only journalism worked, but that the way that we do business. And so I pretty much quit journalism at that moment and started clickSave, started an online publishing newsletter website. And it just changed everything in my career. So I think that moment, had I not thought, "Wow, this is going to change everything," I, like I don't know if I would I still be in journalism. I don't know. I think eventually I would have gotten there, but I was very early in on the idea of this nascent thing called the internet as a as an opportunity for for all of us. And I think actually, when I think about AI now, I am quite sure that we are at a similar sort of place. Um, I don't know how it'll play out, but I think it's a mistake to just sort of say, "Oh, that's not going to affect us," because it absolutely will.
0: Could not agree with you more. We um, we're just about to publish a uh, Robert and I um, a small study that we did, and it's you know companies would never in our in our years have we seen technology um, impact and shatter and, and confuse and confound and enable and provide opportunity the way gen AI has in 2023. And mm-hmm. I'm hard pressed to think of what could come next that would overtake this kind of like the, the big ball of rolling down the hill that, that gen AI is. And it's what we have found is that it's not so much a matter of people trying to figure out how to use it is they don't even know how to get ready to start using it. Mm-hmm. Like it's the getting ready to get ready is what we're calling it. And, 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 it's a whole other thought process and conception, and you you need so much more strategy and all of those things. And so I could not agree with you more. And I'm so excited to see where this is going to go, like how this is going to play out, because mm-hmm. I I don't think any of us can tell.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I think the only thing that I I do worry about sometimes is that the momentum, the incredible momentum that AI has is going to overwhelm so many companies like you said it a second ago that that people are it's like the getting ready to get ready piece of it like i don't know how many people are actually doing that and i worry about that and so i want to make sure that the companies who are deploying ai tools and solutions that are thinking about you know adopting some sort of generative ai platform in their content teams for example are thinking about this in a very measured and and principled way because there's a lot of opportunity to get it wrong. And that's what I worry about.
0: Yeah. And you're right to worry about it because there are some who are just jumping in. There's there's so many extremes from yeah. companies who are like it's verboten. You cannot, you can't even say the words gen AI, right? Because mm-hmm. somebody's listening and you'll have your hand slapped, or worse. And then there's others who are, you know, well, you go off and play, not officially, and then, you mm-hmm. know, let us know what you find. And then others who are, are taking a, like you said, I love the word measured. And focused and very purposeful approach to understanding not only what it is and how it works and what it can be used for, but how it can best be used for their organization. And those are the people, those are the companies that are going to succeed and excel ahead of so far ahead of everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yes. So this has been fabulous. I got to ask though if you weren't doing what you do as a content and marketing inspiration and guide and all of those things, what is Ann Hanley's alter ego where, you know, money, environment, location, didn't matter. Just world is carte blanche. Mm. What would you be doing?
1: Um, you know, I don't, I think I'd probably be doing exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't harbor any desire to I don't know, you know, become a trapeze artist and travel with a circus or to sail around the world. And I I just don't have any inclination to do that. I've always wanted to be a writer. I am a writer. Maybe I would write different kinds of things. Like for example, maybe I would do that novel about me as as a middle school catfisher. Um, it's possible. <laughs> that actually is kind of a hilarious idea. Um, so maybe I would write different kinds of things. Maybe I would write novels or short stories, or maybe my focus would be slightly different. But, you know, my, the way that I am most filled with joy is when I am home, my sense of sanctuary in my home and in my little office with my typewriter collection and, and all of that is so precious to me. That's truly where I feel happiest. So, yeah, I love traveling and I I love meeting people and and going out. But fundamentally, I just really enjoy being home. I love being home with my dog and my family and I like I like writing when I want, whatever I want. And so that's probably just what I would be doing. It it would look very similar to what I'm doing now except maybe my LinkedIn wouldn't be quite so active.
0: Well, that is wonderful to to find the ultimate joy and there's although there's nothing wrong with like oh yeah you know I I'd, I'd be a um, an art connoisseur or a sommelier or you know I've heard a lot of really interesting things but I've also heard a lot from a lot of women that you know it's a variation of what they do today because they are they are doing what they enjoy most and are fortunate enough uh, to and not to say that it was they were lucky or it came easy, but fortunate enough to be doing what they love and making a career out of it. So that's amazing. And I think that is such great, although maybe not meant to be advice, but great advice for people that you can actually live your dream. Like you can can make what you love most what you do and live off of it. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's funny because, you know, I can't imagine waking up every morning and, and thinking, God, what well, I wish I wasn't doing this. I wish I was a trapeze artist in a traveling circus. I just can't imagine waking up with that kind of regret, you know? So yeah, I have designed the life that I I want. I love it. For example, when I look at my calendar for next week and I see whole days where I don't have any meetings or I don't have anything planned, like I love that. Like I love that opportunity that it gives me just to design my day. And I think that's just kind of how I approach my life too. I design a life that I that I want and that more than that, that I need as a creative person, as somebody who has a strong sense of place and sanctuary just within myself, like I need that to feel whole. So that's what I've designed for myself. I feel a little bit, I don't know, like I, it's funny when you asked me that question a second ago, like what, what, what would I be doing And I feel like I should say a trapeze artist, a sommelier, like I should drive an Uber. I don't know. Like, I feel like, should I have something else? But then when I really think about it rationally, it's like, no, why why would I do that? I I love my life. So (laughs) why would I want to do
0: something else? Yeah, I love that. For our listeners, maybe particularly the women in our audience, what would be your best piece of advice on life, career, success, happiness, really anything you'd like to share?
1: Oh, my goodness. I feel like I've just given... um, you have.
0: You've given like, so much advice. I feel like I've
1: given all my, all my best tips. Kathy, I don't have a, like a, a bottomless barrel here. Um, I don't know. Let me think about that for a second. I mean, I think the most important thing is to learn how to write. And I tell my kids this, is just learn how to write because I think it's important, especially in an age of AI, where the robots may want to write for you uh, or where you're where the the world wants you to have robots writing for you but i think writing is thinking and the more that you can understand your own self and your own point of view and perspective and how you show up the more successful you will be the better you can communicate is the better you can galvanize people around your ideas and i think writing is a is a foundation of that when i say learn how to write i don't mean learn the rules of grammar but i mean Learn how to express your own ideas in a way that is going to feel accessible and joyful and artful to people around you. That's my best piece of advice.
0: Could not agree with you more, and I will be sending this edition to my son to listen to, so he knows that it's not just me that tells him how. To, <laughs> that that's an important thing. <laughs> so, and this has been fantastic. Um, so your the your annual conference was just about a month ago, I guess. So now, but where can our audience find you? If you've enjoyed this
1: conversation with Kathy today, you can subscribe to my fortnightly email. It emails every other Sunday. It's at nhanley.com slash newsletter. I share ideas on writing and and life and marketing in that it's my most favorite thing I do. uh, And I definitely hope that you subscribe if you haven't already. I think the other place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there or on let me see. What else am I active on in terms of social? Instagram. I'm active on Instagram, and I'm active on Threads right now. I've kind of left X slash Twitter um, <laughs> unofficially. Still have an account, but it's just less of a less of a fun place to be. So I'm I'm leaning into Threads a little bit and having a lot of fun there. So yeah, I would say LinkedIn number one, Instagram number two, and Threads number three. And but newsletter is just kind of above and, and beyond the the best place to connect with me.
0: Fabulous. And thank you so much for today's conversation. It has been enlightening and enjoyable and filled with joy. To my audience, thank you for listening to Uncharted Journeys with me, your host, Kathy McKnight. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Anne and hearing about how you can lead a successful life filled with joy and growth and fulfillment following a pretty singular path that it doesn't need to be fraught with change and sharp left turns and right turns, that uh, knowing what you like and what brings you joy Can absolutely fulfill your life with success. So, thank you so much again. And if you're keen to hear more amazing stories from amazing women, you can head over to unchartedjourneys.net, listen to some of the other episodes. You can also sign up for our email list, as well as check out the links and resources in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. And until then, enjoy the journey.